remember, it is a uh, duet. That's true. I wish you told me earlier. I don't have time to learn the lyrics. Oh, that's okay. I'm doing it with Miss Mousy. <laughs> Miss Mousy? Miss Mousy! <laughs> Hi-ho, and welcome once again to A Feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, it's Friday night. People don't know this. We record this Friday night. It's pretty late for me. You know, we're on different coasts, so it's to you, it's the evening. To me, it's actually pretty late at night right now. I appreciate your consideration, because if we go back to when it was just the evening for you, I'd probably still be at work. And as tired as I am by Friday nights, it's still fun to just, like, kick back and talk about The Muppet Show a little bit. It's a good way to cap off the week, for sure. Every Friday night, I'm kind of like, oh, man, I'm so tired. But then we start rolling, and then we start talking about stuff like Dom DeLuise on The Muppet Show, and it gets me excited. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about Dom. He's The episode was a treat, and going back through his bio was as well. So this is a feed of Lunatic Dare. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. We are currently working our way through the second season of The Muppet Show, two episodes at a time. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media. We are at Lunatic Daring on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and then there's lunaticdaring.com, where you can find our watch list, all of our episodes, and our bibliography. Tonight, we got a couple of good episodes, a couple of great guest stars. And so I just think we should jump in. <laughs> with our very special guest star, Mr. Dom DeLuise. All right, Nick, I'm an old man, so I don't need you to tell me, but tell me who Dom DeLuise was. So here's the thing. We've talked about a number of guests on the show that might have done voice work or something that I would have recognized from childhood and or someone that I would have recognized from working with Mel Brooks. As I started this bio, I did not realize just how much Dom DeLuise had been involved with my childhood. Dom DeLuise, born August 1st, 1933 in Brooklyn, New York, to Vincenza and John DeLuise. He was the youngest of three kids. Real quick, is, is his name Dominique? I believe so. Piggy keeps calling him Dominique. I, I don't know. So it's spelled with a K. So I don't know if you, if you stretch that vowel. Safe to say an Italian family. Oh, yes. Very much so. Yeah. Very Catholic. <laughs> right. He graduated from Manhattan High School of Performing Arts, but when he went to college, he attended Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts, and majored in biology. Of course, that wouldn't stick. He would actually go in to perform. In the early 60s, he would perform a number of off-Broadway plays, specifically in 1961 and 62, before moving to Broadway in 1963 with a role in The Student Gypsy. Um, his first acting role as a regular performer on a show was on a show called The Entertainers in 1964. Uh, that same year, he would meet his wife, Carol Arthur, uh, and he would be married to her by 1965. They had three sons together, all of whom are actors. So Dom has a lot of movie roles. So before I just go into rattling off that list, the 70s into the 80s into the 90s were a very like rich time for him. I also, as I was doing research, often when I look into a bio, there'll be some sort of tragedy or some sort of scandal. There wasn't that, there was just work. There was a lot of work and people loving working with him because he's Dom DeLuise. I've never heard a lot of bad about him. I can't imagine it. He's a very excellent campy actor, but he was also present on Rowan and Martin's Laughing as a guest in 1973. He would be in Blazing Saddles, 
with so many of our other friends. He was also in Silent Movie. He had a guest spot on the Jacksons. He would show, he will show up in the Muppet Movie when we get to that. Oh yeah, he's the first guest star in the Muppet Movie. He's Bernie the, the agent. agent. Well, hey, well, listen, Bernie the agent. Why don't you say hello to Arnie the alligator? He had a a long friendship with Burt Reynolds, and he collaborated with him on the Cannonball Run. I'm really sorry I'm late, but one of my hamsters had an anxiety attack. I couldn't leave him until he was settled down. He was acting so crazy. He ate a piece of tail, and Henrietta wasn't even bothering him. Then he ate his treadmill. They got vets for that. We got other things to worry about. Hamsters are a big responsibility. And a couple of other movies as well. And I believe in Smokey and the Bandit too. They were kind of a really weird comedy duo there for a little while. Like they, they were kind of hand in hand. It was very strange, but they were kind of a comedy team. So most of my exposure to Burt Reynolds, weirdly enough, is Boogie Nights and Cop and a Half. So I don't have a fully rounded <laughs> image. That was a ride. <laughs> Going from Boogie Nights to Cop and a Half. You took me on a whole adventure there. That was crazy. That's a that whole was... separate conversation for us to get into. That was a roller coaster drop I was not ready for. Eddie Adams from Taunts. Yep. Jack Horner, filmmaker. I make it. Exotic pictures. In 1977, a kid from nowhere had a dream of getting somewhere. Why do you want to be a cop? Look at this guy. Bad back, bad marriage, bad attitude. I want you to drive him around for eight hours. I can't. I don't get along with kids. I don't, I don't like them. They don't like me. I have nothing Nobody to cares. I can't have any fun with a kid. You take a kid to a bar, he has one drink, he falls off the stool. What? You don't have to get up to impress me. In the life of a business, the days of a dreamer, and the nights in between. Cop and a half. What are you? I'm your worst nightmare. An with the He would be in History of the World Part 1. Here, watch this. He is also a voiceover in The Secret of Nim. Hey, there's a cat out there. What? Does he see you? No. <laughs> yes. Stand perfectly still. Everything's fine. He's headed right for us. And he would also go on to be in An American Tale. I like my... Oh, no. Not like that. I mean, I don't eat red meat at all. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. That's right. Oh, a little fish now and then. But what I really like is some nice shh, broccoli. <laughs> which was another major aspect of my childhood. He was in Oliver and Company as Fagin, which I watched that movie a bunch as a kid. And I, I recognized the voice, but I just didn't think... And he, he also collaborates with Tom, Don Bluth for a long time, and Don Bluth was another major facet of my childhood, so we also get All Dogs Go to Heaven. There's a, a long list of things, and I, I don't want to go into all of them because we'll be here all night. But he one of the things that was really interesting about him is he would reprise a lot of roles. So for the All Dogs Go to Heaven sequels or the American Sale sequels, even reprising his role, his last role in 2009 would actually be reprising his role as Pizza the Hut in a pilot for a Spaceballs animated series. God, that was so bad. Spaceballs animated series was so bad. I didn't realize it existed. I it part of me so wants bad. to track it down. They only put out a couple episodes, I think, eventually, and I think that was later. I think it was a different version of it. <laughs> Pizza the Hut. Uh, well, if it isn't Lone Star and his sidekick, Puke. That's Barf. Barf, Puke. Whatever! 
Where's my money? Unfortunately, he would die of kidney failure on May 4th, 2009, at age 75. At the same time, he had been battling cancer for a year on top of diabetes and high blood pressure, and he eventually succumbed. Maybe this is something that Mel cultivated or something that he attracted. He was really, really good at getting character actors. And I think that Dom, while he's a comedic actor, is still an actor before he's a comedian. He is known primarily for comedic roles, right? That's just how it shook out, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen was not a comedian. Leslie Nielsen was a serious actor who got cast in comedies and then the whole reason Leslie Nielsen works in airplane is because he's not funny. Yeah. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. The Muppet Show, episode 210, featuring guest Dom DeLuise, was produced between August 9th and August 11th in 1977. Its UK premiere would be on November 25th, 1977, and we would see it in the States a little bit earlier on October 14th. It was directed by Philip Casson and written by Jewel, Bailey, Hinckley, and Henson. This, uh, this cold open we're coming up on here, man, I love having these cold opens now. It, it is a very, very nice touch. It's also just made it feel more at home. I think I said this last time, but like, this is the Muppet Show. These cold opens are part of the Muppet Show. It's, it's one thing that I think was really missing for me watching the first season. Dom DeLuise? Dom DeLuise? Oh, 18 seconds to curtain, Mr. DeLuise. Oh. Scooter, as he tends to do, comes in to call for Dom to get ready to go on, only to find that the Swedish chef is preparing him kind of as a meal. Like, I feel like I've seen this screenshot on a poster for a horror movie involving cannibals or something, but we see probably Dom DeLuise's head on a serving plate with uh, an apple in his mouth. He's prepping him for a luau, it looks like. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Again, so, uh, foreshadowing. Take a, a fire pit and smoke him for a little while. We, we get to the Muppet Show theme, Gonzo's trumpet blows orange smoke, which I don't, I know we've seen smoke before. I don't remember if it was orange. Seems like they're using a couple of the same ones over and over again in these early ones. Yeah. Uh, for our opening number, we get to see Miss Piggy front and center singing a song called Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. First, we're going to open the show with our own lady of song, Miss Piggy, because if we don't, she'll break both my arms. <laughs> so here she is now. Miss Piggy. We had to move away, cause the rent we couldn't pay. The moving van came round just after dark. It's a great old song. There was me and my old man shoving things inside the van, which we'd often done before, let me remark. <laughs> we packed all that could be packed in the van, and that's a fact. And we got inside all we could get inside. <laughs> then we packed all we could pack on the tailboard at the back. Here there wasn't any room for me to ride. All of this, to me, is old because... <laughs> it is old. I it. My parents were probably relatively young when this was on, right? Yeah. This is a this is a British music hall song. This is old. This was old when this came on. This was old. And they code it for that because anytime Statler and Waldorf decide to sing along, you realize that it's probably from the turn of the century. <laughs> Pretty much always is. I think we've established their age. Probably definitely mid eighties. Hmm. Maybe pushing ninety, which I don't think they quite look that old. Spike keeps them young. 
maybe, maybe. But uh, yeah, whenever they play one of these old, like you said, real old, like songs that are now like 100 years old plus, that's when you get Statler Border for getting happy. And they they enjoy this one too. I guess the side stage into the backstage where, well, first, Piggy sang her heart out. The audience clearly responded very well to it. Very well. Not just Stutler and Waldorf. The whole crowd sings along with her. They love her. Scooter, who's got a vested interest in making sure the show goes well, notices this and points it out to Kermit. To which Kermit says, yeah, Must be an easy house. What a dick. Is he, though? He's not, he's not wrong, but still. I, I feel like Kermit knows how the show runs. He knows how to feel when things are off, which is why when Kermit leaves, Piggy comes up and asks Scooter if he thinks that it worked. How about that audience I paid off for you, huh? They did just what I told them to. Mm, what'd you tell them? To go hog wild. Scooter, I am paying you to give me help, not cheap jokes. So the backstage story this week is Piggy blackmailed or just flat out threatened Scooter to help her, which I don't think this is the first time she's done that. Probably won't be the last. What she has done is she is having Scooter pay the audience, write her fan mail, send her flowers to make it look like she's a much bigger star and more popular than she is. She says it's to get Kermit's attention, but I like where Scooter is like, You must understand that I am only doing this in order for the frog to notice me more. <gasps> sure. Sure. And if you happen to get your own spot on the show, well, that wouldn't hurt. Your life's hanging on a thread, kid. Yes, ma'am. How much of this is career and how much is love? Or is she incapable of separating the two? She is. It's the 70s. She's absolutely incapable of separating the two. Because if she's in love with her boss, that's all kind of wrapped up together, right? Oh, yeah. This episode, Piggy is going to be it's going gonna, it's gonna to be another one of and again, we yes, you're right. We will see more of these of Piggy manipulating Kermit or trying to and just using Scooter, although he proves to be. Well, we'll get back to Scooter later. Scooters is so, like there. <laughs> there's all sorts of chaos on the show. It, you could make the argument that Animal is an actual psychopath. But Scooter's a sociopath like Scooter would absolutely arrange for Kermit to wake up in a bathtub of ice missing his kidney and just be like, we needed to keep the lights on. I have loved this show my entire life. I mean, and, and literally, like I said, it, it debuted four months after I was born. Going back and watching it at this time, I'm getting so much joy out of the fact that these are not perfect people. They're kind of jerks. Some of them, like, it's almost like watching Seinfeld at times, <laughs> where not quite as bad. But I've been getting a real joy out of the fact that these are not, we think of Kermit as this, this symbol of innocence and of the magic that Jim brought and all these things. But Kermit's a cynical, <laughs> business-minded guy. Scooter is near sociopathic. Piggy is delusions. I think Gonzo is the only one who know, really knows what he is. But one, one thing to point out. No Gonzo, no Fozzie in either of these episodes. Why do I feel like I saw Fozzie at one point? They show up in the sing-alongs, hmm. but they don't have any backstage scenes. 
I think the reason you don't have any Fozzie backstage scenes is because you have a lot of Piggy. Mm-hmm. Fozzie can't be in those scenes because of Frank. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why you don't get a lot of that. I don't know why we don't get a lot of Gonzo. I guess they just figured there wasn't room for him with the story. But yeah, man, she's she's dirty. She's doing she's doing some dirty work here. She is a determined pig. We get our first feature piece with Dom, and appropriately enough, I think this is the first time we visit Planet Kuzbane without Kermit, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yeah. It's definitely the first time a human has gone to Planet Kuzbane. Um, so Dom DeLuise is in playing an in interplanetary explorer on Planet Kuzbane. He's like a space geologist. <laughs> Something it's what like it seems that. like. He's a very ineffic- like the the best thing about this is because so much of it is based around his walkie-talkie. You could absolutely remake this in modern context with a cell phone, and nothing would really need to change. I have found no research on this. I, I didn't look. Uh, it feels very ad libbed. I can see that. Yeah, the way he's talking to the radio, how he's waving to the, the that just feels very much like him, and not necessarily like the Muppets, which is okay. I think he knew how it ended, though. Oh no, they have the structure. They have the structure in play. Um, and they have the bits in play, but the him muttering, muttering into the walkie-talkie and some of his lines, even to the monsters later, you know, like I felt like those were just off the cuff. It just felt that way. Five, three, nine, seven, seven, two, two, one. To the mothership, it's me. Ah, can you see me? Here I am. Yes, the one that's waving. You got it. That's nice. Yes, it is so gorgeous up here. I can't tell you. Pluto, Saturn, I mean, it is gorgeous. Hold it. Hold it. I see some cool squads. Hold on. Oh, Jane, keep that soup warm for me, sweetheart. Oh, that's a beauty. This is a beauty. Oh. 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 I think I found a beauty. Oh, no, no, no. It's an Emmy. Never mind. Oh! So I made the comparison between Dom and Harvey Corman earlier. This feels better. This feels significantly better for him to sort of occupy that space. Yeah, this sketch is hilarious. It's just him playing whack-a-mole on a, on a distant planet. <laughs> and basically, like... Where the, where the moles whack you back. Exactly. Uh, the, the Muppets he's interacting with are called Murdledops. Murdledops. They steal his hammer, they steal his radio, and... <laughs> they start beating him with the hammer. So they're popping out of these little holes. It's literally like whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. And when they steal his hammer and then start hitting him with the hammer, so good. It's such... And it's... Very simple. It's also very emblematic of the guest's comedic style. Like I, yes, they they definitely give Dom space to shine, and you can tell that he's having a lot of fun with it too. I think he gets a lot of humor in general, but he gets a lot of humor out of kind of being put in chaotic situations because mm-hmm. we're going to see that later. That's kind of what they set up for him later as well. It's him thriving, kind of cracking jokes while hell is erupting around him. But in this, he's just trying to get his fly. He's just trying to get his radio back because uh, the aliens steal his radio. And like you said, steal his hammer. And they keep popping up and down out of these little holes saying weird phrases to him. There's one great effect, though. One great little trick where the they pull his hand through. And then they sort of like bring out a dummy's hand or something. Or it's Oh, it's another person's hand. You can tell mm. it's because it's moving. So like he sticks his hand like they pull him into the hole and then his hand comes up in a hole that would make his arm impossibly long. But I, again, I think an improv, he goes, my watch. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is it's a it's a game of whack-a-mole. Like if you can't beat him, join him. But also <laughs> it's just a it's a fun bit. Like if if you were maybe this will make it onto our, our list at the end of the season. I don't know. But it's a solid bit. It was a big hit with the kids. 
I can see that. As soon as the hammer started flying and the radios and all that stuff, and when his arm went through, they just lost it. They <laughs> lost it. So, um, and then they loved it at the end. Yeah. So at the end, he ends up diving into one of the holes and popping up with a a hat that's supposed to make him look like one of them, but just makes him look Russian. And he says, and he says the line. What is it? Murder. But then he breaks. Like mm-hmm. I think it's intentional. But then what I like at the end of it is then they all kind of go like, it wasn't that fun. <laughs> and he just kind of laughs, laughs and is like, because you get to it, what is basically an absurdist ending, right? Where he gets pulled and all of a sudden he comes up and he's got this hat on and makes him, he's become one of them. It doesn't make any sense. Those holes are subdimensional space. It's, That's if his possible. arm's able to elongate like that, anything can happen. That is possible. That's possible. But I like at the end, it was kind of like a, a little, there's a little relief at the end where he laughs along with everybody else. So, are animals drum solos or new UK spots or? not uk spots but i don't know why they're here these have been odd i I, i'm always happy to see animal is it possible like they don't know exactly right now what to do with them i mean we're done with after or at the dance aren't we we're done with him at at the dance at least Hmm. but he's had his moments he had that moment in the end of season one where kermit asked him to get the phone and he went and ripped it off the wall and there's been a couple of times like that discuss discuss right that yeah that fantastic one where he's he wrestles um kermit the last couple episodes it feels like they don't know what to do with him so he just comes out and he does a drum solo and then there's a weird little joke at the end that his drum makes a noise without him or something Hmm. it felt very strange again it felt like filling time i was gonna say it feels like filling time but that's what i thought about the last one you get enough of these then you're like oh wait that's definitely then that's not a time filler that's a that's a sketch they're always too short they're always too short to land a joke Someone just required that animal be featured in the episode. They're like, we'll make them play the drums. I don't know. It's just they I find them to be very perplexing. <laughs> the next scene, on the other hand, is very funny. Excuse me. Yeah. May I use your dressing room to change in? What? Well, you see, my room is all filled with flowers. <laughs> you understand, don't you, my dear Dominique? Don't, my dear Dominique, me. Oh, what's wrong? I mean... I'm the guest star on the show. Nobody seems to notice. The audience is filled with big fans. So Piggy is a pig on a mission. Um, she needs everyone to know it, sort of like a war boy, just <laughs> needing to she be witnessed. Um, she goes into Dom's dressing room to change because hers is completely full of flowers. That she has bought. Or Scooter has. Like... Scooter was the one that said that he paid off the audience. I'm assuming it's with her money, but because that would be extortion that if she was making him use his own money, that'd be awful. He might respect that, though. He might. He might. Dom is upset because he's their guest and he feels like he's being mistreated. Well, he feels like he's just not getting enough attention. Because all the attention's going to Piggy. Right. Seeing that low-hanging fruit is there, Dom decides to tell a pig joke. Someone sent roses to a P.I.G. <laughs> that amuses you? <laughs> yes, the days of swine and roses. <laughs> At which point he gets into a pissing contest with Miss Piggy, most of which has them focused on each other's weight. 
which I think, if I remember correctly, Piggy started by making a comment about his weight. She called him Chubbo. Knock it off, Chubbo! Chubbo? Mm-hmm? Look who's talking. Are you saying that I am a little overweight? Little? Did I say little? No. A little. A little. I did not say a little. <laughs> What's also great in the scene, though, is when she comes in and she goes behind the, the changing curtain. The, uh, the corset? Yeah, when she throws the corset, she's like, what a relief! Because <laughs> she's changing into her uh, OR scrubs. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? And her nurse scrubs. And so she's like throwing off clothes and like it felt very like it, it felt adult in a weird way. Like there were jokes I wouldn't have gotten when I was a kid. I Yeah, I wouldn't have either. But she's also getting undressed with him in the other right in the room. He's a non-threat. He's a complete non-factor. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. Of course, until he sticks that apple in her mouth. <laughs> Which almost seems like a veiled threat, given what usually follows that kind of thing. He does give her the luau treatment. I will say, thus far in season two, the biggest laugh from my children has been this moment. <laughs> thus far. Him just... Sh- and they don't even know the implication. Right. They're, they don't get the connection like they're not they're like, going, oh, like a pig at a luau. That's not their thinking. Just the visual of him shoving the apple in Piggy's mouth and her go and her going rrr, 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 just killed him. Just killed him. In a uh, repeat of our episode opener, Scooter arrives to call or not a repeat, I guess, an echo uh, of our episode opener. Scooter arrives to call Piggy for the veterinarian's hospital sketch and piggy takes her cue to provide them with a patient by taking a karate chop at don and she kicked him in the face didn't she like i feel like i saw it wasn't just a karate chop she beat she beat him up pretty bad yeah she i remember seeing the heel she went all in on this one she was very furious it's one thing to take a jab at her weight like she can deal with that she gets that sometimes but the indignity of having <laughs> that apple put in her mouth you know she you know she does not have a sense of humor about like bacon and things like that she's not after she paid for so much adoration to get that kind of disrespect from someone that she probably didn't pay yeah and then she comes out for veterinarian's hospital and they're chanting <laughs> Now, Veterinarian's Hospital, the continuing story of a quack who's gone to the dogs. We do begin the scene with the audience chanting for Miss Piggy's arrival. And then we our patient this time is a cow, which I'm almost positive that I've seen somewhere before in a non-directly Muppet related context but I can't place it. She was on the show before. That might have been it but I feel like I remember the Twiggy thing about the king wanting butter for his bread. The dairy maid said there there and went to the shed. The cow said oh there there I didn't really mean it. Here's milk for his porridger and butter for his bread. Dr. Bob and his assistant go on to make tons of cow puns like you would expect the cow only gets one in which i think had something to do with her having a stake in things yeah this was a throwback the ed sullivan show had an episode where rolf the dog and jimmy dean reunited for one last time hey hey, you know i got some great country jokes that i wrote here for the ed sullivan show what yes yes and and it's all about you know how i was raised with a bunch of cows not a bunch herd herd of what herd of cows sure i heard of cows (laughs) 
the cows heard. I don't care if the cows heard. I haven't said anything to be ashamed of. <laughs> heard. H-E-A-R-D. Jimmy, you gotta milk these jokes. Milk them. I don't even know if they wrote this one. <laughs> they may have stolen it. I don't know. Like, from the Jimmy Dean writers. Oh, look. I have a stake in this, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Bob has taken the bull by the horn. Tune in next time when you'll hear Miss Piggy say... This has really been a moving experience. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. What's cool is we're also holding up the backstage story in this, right? With the audiences overreacting to everything Piggy does. All right, Piggy gets the most laughs. She gets the most applause. It's the backstage story bleeding out onto the stage. Yeah. In a way that makes sense, in a diegetic way that makes sense, right? They're they're getting much better at marrying, or they've gotten, I shouldn't say they're getting, because they've this isn't the first time they've accomplished something like this, but they've gotten significantly better at marrying the two. She's been invited to Henrietta's wedding, though she can't tell us where it will be. We hear the tears that her mother is shedding are because of the old lady's glee. When will it so from there we go into our UK spot, which features Slim Wilson and Lou singing Henrietta's Wedding. Henrietta's Wedding was written by Joseph Marai and Gideon Fagan. Uh, Joseph was a South African folk singer and his wife, Rosa de Miranda, was Dutch. They performed together for 30 years as Marai and Miranda. No one knows who her husband will be. She says she started to buy all the bedding, but the husband's a deep mystery. Who can it be? 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 Though we're invited to Henrietta's wedding, no one knows who her husband will be. They originally recorded this song in 1939. And I don't think it's the only one we'll hear on The Muppet Show. I don't think so. I think we'll hear others. This is the second appearance of Slim Wilson and Lou. Yeah, they're part of the new country band. Now, the Gugalala is not going to be there anymore. So we talked about this before. Louise Gold is now, we're not going to see her in the credits this year, but she's now a regular performer. She was one of the three women that did the little tryout episodes and she got the job. In this, Lou is being sung by... Uh, Louise Gold. What did you think of the song? I, it's fine. I don't yeah, I, have a, a strong association with it. I had never heard it. It was fine. <laughs> I agree. I, I don't think it's a bad sketch. As a UK spot, it, it works just fine. Of course, from there, we... Two musical numbers in a row. Not Not always common, but I guess... Only one for U.S. audiences, but it's true. We get to see Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem putting Animal more or less where he's supposed to be. They sing a song called Don't Blame the Dynamite, which was written by Sam Bula. Please forgive me for mispronouncing this name if I do. Bolo. Sam Bolo. Sure. Uh, for the show, we don't actually know a lot about him. If you ain't been dancing lately, don't blame your shoes. And if you ain't been happy lately, don't put it on the blues. Don't blame the dynamite if you can't light the fuse. There's a party all the time for them what you. Over the course of the Muppet Show, there were 18 original songs written for the show, not including the theme song. 
right? So, so most of the songs that they do on the show, of course, are from movies, are from Broadway, or are pop songs. But there are 18 original songs written for The Muppet Show over the course of it. And this is one of them. I put the good parts in a bag and go out by myself. <laughs> A lot of them are written by people who are like credited as music people on the show, right? And we'll, we'll talk about those when they come up. This one, all I could find was the guy's name. And even when I Googled him, all I could find was this. So I don't know if he was a friend of somebody's. I don't know if he was on the staff, but wasn't credited. I, I don't know who he was. I tried to find out. I really did. It's a pretty standard kind of Dr. Teeth. So. Did Crazy Harry show up though? He didn't. And I, I don't know yeah. if it was missed opportunity or not, because it makes it a very different kind of bit, and sometimes it's just nice to watch the mayhem play. There's some really good camera work in this one, I noticed, um, in the way the camera would move from character to character. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it had some very nice, subtle camera work, some nice actual kind of um, shallow focus camera work. I don't know. I really I really enjoyed the way it was shot. It was fun. It was, it was a good mayhem number. <laughs> Don't tell me you like that trash. Oh, my hand went to sleep. Okay, now we get to the juicy stuff here. Oh, yes. So we go backstage again, where Miss Piggy and Scooter are... Is, is conspiring the right word? Sure. They're having a conversation that is definitely meant for Kermit to overhear about her getting a new job offer. Gee, Miss Piggy, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Well, I just don't know, Scooter. My loyalty is, of course, to Kermit, but this other show has offered me a contract at twice the money. Scooter, being as self-aware as he tends to be, manages to mess up one of the lines, but Piggy leaves like it's fine, and after she does, Kermit decides to talk to Scooter about the conversation. Scooter, that performance by you and Miss Piggy was terrible. Mm. Gee, I didn't think it was that bad. I missed one line, but... Oh, no. Scooter, you gonna tell me what's going on? No, I promised. Uh, I'll give you a raise. Maybe it's like a, a raise of 25 cents or something, because he wasn't really paying. They're not getting that much more. So good, though. Where he's and like, so, I, nope, I made a promise. I will not tell you what Piggy's up to. I'll give you a raise. Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah, he lets him know the flowers are all fake. The audience was paid off. I wrote the fan letters, and Miss Piggy doesn't have another offer. Scooter wrote the fan letters, and there there were enough of those to fill the room. Yeah. So I'm wondering exactly what Piggy threatened Scooter with. Here's what I want to know. Isn't Scooter a rich kid, or does he just have a rich uncle? That's a good question. Because if he's a rich kid, he shouldn't care about getting the raise. But is there power in that? Because, like, maybe Scooter doesn't want the money so much as he wants the power of getting a raise, because that means he's more valued. I don't know. Kermit says, Scooter, I like your style. Because I will say again, Kermit is a capitalist. He appreciates someone who's willing to sell themselves out for money. Or sell out their friends for money. It's not easy being green. No, it's not. From, from there, we get to see Dom again. And yeah. what was... Probably one of my favorite bits for the episode. Oh, yeah. Because you see the setup there and you just see it unravel. But he welcomes the viewer to Shepard's Institute for, of Animal Protection. And as soon as he said that, I half expected to see Sarah McLaughlin just show up with a guitar and start singing. <laughs> Temporally, it doesn't make any sense, but it's been ingrained. Thank you for setting me up for a music cue right there. <laughs> Break that would make it okay. There's always some reason. Shepherd's Institute of Animal Protection is an organization de devoted to the protection of innocent animals, uh, which is effectively Dom asking people to help adopt these 
four young monsters. Yeah, it's like a telephone. Kind of, yeah. It's a pledge drive. He takes the viewers through feeding and entertaining the animals, and there are a bunch of different Muppet monsters that we've seen before. There's a larger cage, which actually looks more like a jail cell, where he just keeps throwing as much food into that as he can. Mean Mama is in that one. What Mean Mama needs is food. And then we go to, I want to call that a stroller. Yeah, it's a stroller, a bassinet. Baby carriage is probably the best word. It, actually, they shot this in the UK. It would be a pram. I've, I'm not sure I've ever heard that word in that context before. So that's the uh, lunch encounter monster playing Was the it baby. Was that small, though? Like, the, the face is instantly recognizable, but... I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a different version of it or not. But yeah, it's a lunch encounter monster doing its best impression of Baby Herman. My problem is I got a 50-year-old lust and a 3-year-old dinky. Which he runs from Mean Mama feeding Mean Mama to then to the baby stroller to calm the baby. And then the third monster is played by Dog Lion. Who's much nicer this time around, at least initially. And he's chained to the wall. Dom has to pull out a ukulele and sing a song, and then he just goes back and has to repeat the circuit. From one monster to the next monster. Then it starts to snowball on him. He, he can't get, like, there's not enough stuff to feed Mean Mama. No. I think at some point, Dog Lion breaks the ukulele, and he just feeds the ukulele to Mean Mama. It's a really fun, gradual buildup of... <laughs> if you're sending your donations, you'll be very happy. Oh, here you go. Oh. Each time he spends less time with them and it just accelerates until he loses complete control of the situation. Me Mama breaks out of the jail and the, the baby gets out and Dog Lion bashes the ukulele. My favorite moment, though, is when he takes the giant shovel full of food and flings it across yeah. in a Meat Mama's they face. They were like, peanuts, weren't they? Yeah, it was like peanuts. Takes a big shovel and just throws it across the set. And actually, it's a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we find him begging for... Wait a minute! Oh, please! I think it worried my four-year-old a little bit. Fair. Mean Mama is a scary Muppet. Something about those eyes. But also, Dom looks right at the camera and goes, help. I really mean it. Help. And I think for a little four-year-old girl, that's probably a little, you know, I think she was like, I want to help him. So you're not raising Scooter then, is what I'm hearing. God, hope not. But uh, yeah, very, very funny number. And, and like you said, in the same way the Coosbane one did, very catered to his comedic stylings. Absolutely. Either that or he is the one catering it to his comedic stylings. For someone like him, it's more setting up the situation. Setting up the situation. You've got these monsters. This is how they're going to behave. And then letting his personality loose into it and see what happens. There's there's definitely a lot of room there for him to just play. I mean, what what happens is scripted, but what he says feels off the cuff so many times. Sometimes they're not even jokes. They're just things that he says that are kind of funny or kind of humorous, but they're not quite jokes. They don't feel written at all. But there's also like that increase in speed as he keeps going and as he gets progressively more frantic. It feels organic. Kermit, uh, you wanted to see me? Okay, Kermit does some next level stuff here. Oh, yes, Miss Piggy. You know, I couldn't help but overhear that conversation between you and Scooter about that offer you got from the other show. So here's the thing about Kermit. If Kermit knows what game you're playing, 
there's a good chance that he just outplays. He's a 4D chess kind of guy. Oh, absolutely. In his own very simple way. <laughs> there's that little bit of Kermit that you can see sort of shine through here where Piggy regularly ignores Kermit's boundaries. And it's nice once in a while for him to kind of get her back for that, whether it's sicking Gonzo on her or... I have come to a decision that I think will make you very happy. Oh? I've decided to let you go. You You see, Piggy, I don't want to stand in your way. (laughs) Good luck, kid. She gets really, really upset, and then... Does this mean you want your job back? Oh, good. Uh, 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 incidentally, though, uh, you will have to take you will have to take a pay cut. Well, sure. I mean, you know, if you could afford to pay off the audience and buy all those flowers and the fur and the mail and all that stuff, then I think you could. Oh, and he feels like he genuinely like. You know, he wasn't firing her or anything. That's in a later episode when he fires her. That'll, ooh, that's going to be, that's going to be a barn burner. Piggy, you are fired! You are fired! Piggy, you are fired! Fired! I forgot about the fact that she, he gets very cutthroat on her and sounds like a Republican talking to somebody on uh, unemployment. If you can afford all this stuff, I must be paying you too much. I was like, actually, that's the moment I didn't like him in this episode. Not because he was I, being mean to her. I didn't like that attitude. I loved that. Because the thing is, it's a response to a troll. Yeah. It's a response to a coordinated and coercive troll, because I don't think this was Scooter's idea. Plus, she's not getting paid. Let's be honest here. How much is she getting paid anyway? I don't think he pays the axe. I think he pays the band, Scooter. Like I said, I I think that's why he got rid of George. I think that was pay cuts. I think he pays, like, the staff and the crew, but I'm not so sure he pays the cast. I think he's, like, visibly upset with all of this though and there's that aspect of her that you want to feel sorry for yeah but you also recognize that she's in the wrong she's absolutely in the wrong and she's getting hoisted by her own petard and then she gets the gonzo slash fozzy treatment (laughs) like we've seen this scene before but it usually has fozzy or gonzo in it but it's also interesting because dom was antagonistic toward her earlier in the episode maybe he enjoyed sparring with her you know maybe the that antagonism is fun game recognizes game yeah, but usually it's Gonzo or Fozzie sitting there dejected and the female guest star comes in and goes, or actually not even female because Joel Gray did it with Gonzo too. Like, hey, what's wrong, little buddy? And then they talk to him and then it eventually turns into a song. And we get the same thing here, but with Piggy. Piggy, you're upset. <laughs> Things have not been going very well between you and Kermit today, right? Dumb, dumb, dumb. This woman sometimes feels so alone. Alone? Piggy, you're not alone. Look at me a minute. You're here. I'm here. Us is here. Us is here. I mean, we got us. Don't you understand? Oh, I know. Life is a funny thing. Sometimes you laugh and sing. Sometimes you grumble and cuss. Right? But either way, what do we care? We got us. 
Tom decides to cheer her up by singing We Got Us, which was written by Walter Marks for the 1968 musical Golden Rainbow. It's a nice number. It is the only time that we see Fozzie and Gonzo this episode. We're also joined by Floyd and Janice, Scooter, and I think... Did we have a frackle in there? No, I think there's just like a whatnot. Suit us at all. That's right. Why sing a melody as a soliloquy when it's more fun to be harmonizing? Look. It's a very nice closing. This is the only time he sings, right? It is, because the other two are comedic bits. I mean, he, he doesn't have a terrible voice. He sings, you know, like a comedian, you know? Like, <laughs> they only got one to the close of the episode where Kermit calls Dom back out to say thanks and thanks everyone in the audience especially the people that hadn't been paid off by the pig <laughs> and Miss Piggy's sense of humor shines through and that it's not really present she seems like she's pretty upset about it she does not have a leg to stand on here no I like Piggy I'm a Piggy apologist I'm a fan but <laughs> I think she's funny I think she's sweet I think she's interesting I, I think she's complex which I like but she's in the wrong here and she deserves to get ribbed for it. Nobody got hurt. It's fine. All she did was waste some money. So, so you know, she doesn't need like, you know, big comeuppance or anything. No one was harmed, but she deserved to get ribbed for it. And she does. Thank you all for being with us, especially those of you who weren't paid off by the pig. Oh, stand Hold back, it. Don. This is going to be fractured from No, 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 don't, 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 so you liked Dom DeLuise going into this. So I'm assuming you liked Dom DeLuise on this. Oh, absolutely. Everything yeah. about the way that he came across in this episode sort of felt like that uh, like that older uncle or great uncle who is aware of all of the BS that goes on in a family, but just decides to make jokes with the kids and make them laugh once in a while or something like that. Like very, very gregarious, very big, but also even when he was going at it with, with Piggy, there's a real warmth there. with our special guest star, Miss Bernadette Peters! So going into this episode, I was kind of a, kind of in your situation where I knew a little bit about Bernadette Peters, but I found out that she's in a lot more things that I know. I'm also going to admit, I kind of got a little crush on her in this episode. Yeah. Just a little bit. Actor, singer, author, and Stephen Sondheim muse, Bernadette Lazara was born February 28th, 1948, into a Sicilian-American family in Queens, New York. It was her mother, for reasons I couldn't really find, other than, I guess, just because, it started her off in show business, getting her on the TV show Juvenile Jury when she was, like, four, which was a kid's uh, game show. I like that. My mother wants to ride on buses, and I don't want it. Your mother wants to ride on buses, and you don't want to? What do you want to ride in? That actually, it's kind of funny that show would actually get into trouble in the 50s for feeding its contestants answers. At the age of five, Bernadette appeared on Name That Tune and The Horn and Hatter Children's Hour. So she was a child actress. She obtained her actor's equity card, which is um, actor's equity is the union for stage performers uh, at nine years old. And she registered as Bernadette Peters to avoid the ethnic stereotyping of her very, very, very Italian last name. Her professional stage debut came in 1958 in the comedy This Is Goggle, directed by the great filmmaker Otto Preminger. 
She did some TV movies after that, attended the Quintano School for Young Professionals in New York, a private high school from which many famous people have emerged, including, according to Wikipedia, Aerosmith frontman Steven Tyler. At 13, she had a role in the second national tour of Gypsy. She did summer stock theater, playing roles in The Sound of Music and a play called Riverwind here in Pennsylvania, actually right close to where I live. And that was all before she graduated high school. After that, her career really kicked off. Uh, she starred in several off-Broadway musicals, finally making her her Great White Way debut in 1967 in a play called Johnny No Trump, which is an unfortunate name these days. Uh, but the play only ran for five previews and one regular performance before it was yanked. She also played opposite Muppet Show guest star Joel Gray in George M., which is the story of the composer George M. Cohen. She played his sister. The off-Broadway show Dames at Sea earned her her first Drama Desk Award, and she got a few more Broadway roles, including 1969's La Strada and On the Town, which uh, was the first thing she was nominated for. That was her first Tony nomination was for On the Town. In the early 70s, Peters left the theater in New York and moved to Los Angeles to, of course, get into movies. She was nominated for a Golden Globe for her role in Mel Brooks's silent movie. Uh, was in the 1982 musical adaptation of Annie. She was in Pink Cadillac, Woody Allen's Alice. In 1977, she started dating comedian Steve Martin and would appear with him in two of his most recognized films, uh, 1979's The Jerk and the musical Pennies from Heaven. Love is good for anything that ails you. Baby, there is nothing love can't do. Love is good for anything that ails you. How's about a sweet romance or two? Which snagged her the Golden Globe, actually, for Best Supporting Actress. Their relationship would end shortly after that movie. A few other movies, just to list some off. The Longest Yard, the Andy Kaufman disaster Heart Beeps. If you've ever seen that one, do not. She did a, a voice in 1997's Anastasia. And in 2003, she was a voice in The Land Before Time 10, The Great Long Neck Migration. Now, there are 10 of those? Yeah, see, I grew up watching the original Land Before Time, and I know there were several straight-to-video sequels, but I had no idea there were 10 of them, which is okay, because there aren't, because there are 14, Nick. The latest came out in 2016. There are 14 Land Before Time movies. Ah, do kids care about continuity? Maybe there's this vast cinematic universe that we're just not tapped into, but... But, like, also, the first Land Before Time movie was kind of traumatizing. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep! Going back a little bit, uh, in 1984, she came back to Broadway in Stephen Sondheim's Sunday in the Park with George, which was her third Tony nomination. Then she did Andrew Lloyd Webber's Song and Dance, which finally won her a Tony for Best Leading Actress. She originated the role of the witch in Sondheim's Into the Woods, solidifying her to some critics as, quote, the premier interpreter of Sondheim's work. It's the last wish. It's the Sondheim himself said that what he loved about her was that she could sing while acting and act while singing, unlike most performers who he felt usually alternated between the two. Her relationship with Sondheim would continue and would uh, she would often be invited to perform at concerts featuring his work including his 1993 Kennedy Center Honors Ceremony. But I just go on thinking and sweating 
She won her second Tony for the 1999 revival of Annie Get Your Gun, a play that's come up on this show a lot, actually. In 2005, she did the revival of Gypsy, scoring her her seventh Tony nomination. She did another Sondheim musical called Bounce the next year, and yet another, A Little Night Music in 2010, and again in the Kennedy Center production of Follies. These are all Sondheim joints. And then in 2017, she replaced Bette Midler in the revival of Hello, Dolly, and she did that for about a year and a half. She also, she's also done a fair amount of television. In addition to The Muppet Show, she was nominated for an Emmy for this, by the way, this episode. She has appeared on tons of variety shows like Sunny and Cher, stuff like that. She co-hosted the 2002 Grammys with Gregory Hines, speaking of history of the world. And that's the Ethiopian, Shim Sham. She did 11 appearances on The Carol Burnett Show. In 1981, she hosted Saturday Night Live. And in 1983, played Sleeping Beauty in an episode of Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater. She was in the 1997 TV adaptation of Cinderella. Remember the one with Brandy in it? Yeah. She did some other TV movies and even had her own show called All's Fair, but it only lasted one season. She was also the voice of Rita, the stray cat, on one of the greatest animated shows of all time, Warner Brothers Animaniacs. Oh, you kid. You got it made me the Great Pyramid. Gotta say I like this lifestyle. Talking about my home on the muddy night. Call me greedy, but give me more. Treat me like Queen Nefertiti. Build me a palace fit for Ramses too. I bet you'd rather be me than you. She's also shown up on All in the Family, Maud, Allie McBeal, Law and Order SVU, The Closer, Will and Grace, Boston Legal, Frasier, Grey's Anatomy, Ugly Betty, Smash. The Amazon show Mozart in the Jungle, and most recently the failed Riverdale spinoff Caddy Keen in 2020, and three episodes of NBC's Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So she is still working. That's not all, though. She has also recorded six solo albums. Three of them have been nominated for Grammys. Her first self-titled album was released in 1980, and it featured a cover. This is kind of cool. It featured a cover by Alberto Vargas. It was a painting of her by this guy named Alberto Vargas, who was one of the most famous pinup artists of all time. He's like a classical pinup artist. He was pretty much retired. She went to him and said, will you paint a picture of me for this album cover? Since 2013, she's been touring off and on with her cabaret act called An Evening with Bernadette Peters. But guess what, Nick? That's not all. She's also written three children's books, the most recent coming out in 2015, all of them based on her own dogs. <laughs> Actually, she's a big dog person. In 1999, she and Mary Tyler Moore co-founded Broadway Barks, which is an annual pet adoption event and each July hosts an event slash concert for the organization. Like I said, she really likes dogs. She's on the board of trustees of Broadway Cares slash Equity Fights AIDS, which is a nonprofit that raises funds for AIDS-related causes across the U.S., and specifically, of course, in theater. She somehow helped settle a 2007 Broadway stagehand strike, because why not? Seems like she could do anything. And in 2009, helped celebrate the last birthday of Senator Ted Kennedy in a private concert held at the Kennedy Center, hosted by Bill Cosby. Um, 
uh, and many politicians, including then President Barack Obama and hopefully future President Michelle Obama, were also there too. Uh, anything else? Uh, she was on the cover of the December 1981 issue of Playboy, in which she posed in lingerie. She married investment advisor Michael Wittenberg in 1996, but he tragically was killed in a helicopter crash in 2005 at the age of 43. She was awarded her star on the Walk of Fame in 1987. Today, she is 73, still working, still acting, and still singing. Fun fact I found, in 1996, she became the youngest person inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. That's a pretty legit career. Yeah, and it's still going. So this is Muppet Show 212 with special guest star Bernadette Peters. Produced mid-August 1977, debuted in that November. Directed by Peter Harris this time, but written by those same four dudes. Uh, in this cold open, Scooter comes in to tell her it's time for curtain, and the chef has sent her a chicken sandwich for, I guess she requested a chicken sandwich for lunch, but it's got an actual Muppet chicken in it. She is very delicately trying to figure out how to salt it. Thank the Swedish chef for sending in this lovely chicken sandwich. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm not hungry. The Swedish chef strikes again. I think we need to stop calling him a chef because he doesn't actually cook things. He just puts things in pots. I mean, that's a very important part of cooking things. Like when he tried to make fish chowder and he just put a fish in a bowl. Like, dude, you got to kill that thing first. Maybe he's a pacifist. No, we know he's not a pacifist. He's not remotely a pacifist. So I don't know what his deal is. So then uh, we get the Muppet Show theme and a Gonzo blows his trumpet. Uh, like a green balloon comes out like a like a balloon animal balloon, but it fails to blow up all the way. My girls thought it was snot. Fair. So Kermit comes out and he's in his tux. And you always know something special is going on when Kermit's in his tux, right? Welcome again to the Muppet Show. Hey, we have a wonderful show for you tonight because our guest star is one of the all-time multi-talented, beautiful ladies of the world, Miss Bernadette Peters. First of all, we've got an opening number which features me. I do sing and dance occasionally, so you'll know I'm not just another pretty face. He's talking himself up, and then Piggy comes out. Piggy comes out and says, yeah, but that song's a duet. And and he goes, yep. That's true. (laughs) I wish you told me earlier. I don't have time to learn the lyrics. Oh, that's okay. I'm doing it with Miss Mousie. Miss Mousie. Miss Mousie. Miss Mousie! So, the thing about this, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Kermit once fought Depot Rat over Miss Mousy for about three days. To be fair, he told us a story in which he did. We don't have proof. That was all subjective. Fair. He was at least ostensibly willing to throw hands for Miss Mousy. So Piggy has a negative reaction to this. Of course. Now, we have not established a rivalry, though. No, but also... Miss Piggy is very firmly set on being Kermit's present and future, and he doesn't like his or she doesn't like his past being there. If we had not watched the Valentine's show, which is not a standard episode of the Muppet Show, we would have less context for this. <laughs> I mean, there's a non-zero chance, and it reads different. It Jim reads wasn't different. thinking about it when he put it together either. Like you said, she doesn't like Kermit singing with any woman because mm-hmm. we know how we know how much the ladies love Cool K, and she just doesn't like to see. She doesn't like to put him in those situations. <laughs> So she's very upset, but Kermit goes on and Miss Mousy comes in in that butter churning gown that she's always in. I don't know what to call it. And he sings a song about being a miserable, cheating, lying son of a bitch. Here's the best part about that, though. It's so good. How could you believe me when I said I love you when you know I've been a liar all my life? You've had that reputation since you were a youth. I must have been insane to think that you'd tell the truth. But how could you believe me when I said we'd marry when you know I'd rather hang than have a 
wife. It's your fault that I'm cheating on you. You knew who I was when you met me. Which is a ballsy way to go about that. Later, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. Yeah, it's a song called How Could You Believe Me When I Said I Loved You When You Know I've Been a Liar All My Life. Written by Burton Lane and Alan Lerner for the 1951 film Royal Wedding. Said that you would love me long Never would do me wrong And faithful you'd always be Maybe you must be loony to trust a lower than low to timer like me. Sadly, Muppet Wiki says this is going to be Miss Mousy's last major appearance, ending Kermit's relationship with her. Did Piggy do something to her? I don't know. Piggy threatens violence a lot in this episode, by the way. She's, Piggy uh, is a an oppressive force in this episode, and I'm kind of here for it. You'll be ground under the heel. So this song is Kermit singing to Miss Mousy. This is Froggy Goes to Court and Kermit, though. It like is. the way he's the way he's acting, the attitude, the the this kind of I like in these early days when Kermit comes to put on a show, like he turns into a showman. It's not all like pensive, easy being green stuff. Like he he kicks it up a notch, you know. It's exactly what the title is. How could you believe me when I said I loved you when you know I've been a liar all my life? To think you swore our love was real. But baby, let us not forget that I'm a heel. How could you believe me when I said I love you when you know I've been a liar? Oh, my doggone no good. Good for nothing life. It's just a laundry list of like ways that he's lied to her. It's so funny. It's. And very adult. It is. They weren't trying to like sneak stuff past the radar that much. It was just very out in the open. It's like, of course I'm going to sleep with those other women. I mean, she even said he, he she even says like, what about that time you were there? And he's like, oh, no, I was I was I lied. I was somewhere with somebody else. It went over my kids' heads. They were just having fun with the song. But I was going like, yeah, there's nothing coded here. No. This is a guy just going like, oh, yeah, I, I cheat on you a lot. He's off on another lily pad. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I, it was also a huge surprise. Kermit is kind of, even though we've seen a more cynical side of him, he is usually presented as the conscience and the general nice guy yeah. of the Muppets. But I think he would say that's just the number, right? Oh, yeah, no, no, it's absolutely just the number. It's just funny to see him in this role. It is. Cut to Statler and Waldorf's box. This is where it gets sinister. We cut to, to Statler and Waldorf's box. Oh, he's terrible! I hated it! Really? Oh, I kind of liked it. Well, the pig doesn't have you in a hammerlock. Oh, oh he's terrible! Piggy is threatening them, right? That if they cheer for Miss Mousy, she's going to hurt him. She's ap- appealing to their intellect. And they're going to ask this question, too. They get picked on a lot this episode. Uh-huh. They're also the stars of the audience. They are the arbiters of taste as sure. much as Sam the Eagle would like to be. Now we go backstage and we see someone we haven't seen in a while. And that's Robin the Frog. I think the last time we saw him, he was singing halfway up the stairs. Yeah. One of the things, because I think this is them trying to decide Robin into the show more often. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Well, this is the first time he says the words Uncle Kermit. And the implication is that he's been there the entire time, which is kind of sad. If we hadn't seen him before, yes, I do like the idea that he's been underfoot the entire time. We've just never noticed him because we do we do get a different angle on the floor. 
mm-hmm. it looks almost like they flew out the counter, like the desk there. Mm-hmm. And so the camera could have this shot of Robin sitting on the floor of the studio. Uncle Kermit, despite my small size and diminutive stat. Okay, oh, hey, Uncle listen, Kermit, uh, big monsters on stage for the Bernadette Peters number. Come on, you guys, move it, move it, move it, move it, move it. Come on, move it, move it. Yeah, you almost stepped on me. But this is the reveal. I don't even know it's the reveal because they've never, you know, it's, but it's the moment where Kermit becomes his uncle and he becomes nephew Robin. But Robin is just trying to get someone to notice him because he wants to do an act. Oh, come on now. You can't go on stage looking like that. Now get back out there. You got to brush your hair. Come on. Bernadette Peters is a big star. You got to clean up. Clean up. Come on. Come on. We don't have much time. Nobody ever notices me. We get our first musical number with Bernadette Peters singing a song called Take a Little One Step. (laughs) Take a little one step, two step, three step. Come a little closer, please. Like a rose that blows in every It was written for the musical Lollipop in 1924, but became much more popular when it was used in the far more popular musical No No Nanette. And it's her singing and dancing with Sweetums Thog and Tibby Monster. And the only kind of with kind of what would you call it? Like it, it almost it almost feels like I'm in a Maury Sendak book. I can see that. It's not that far from where the wild things are. It's the wild rumpus star. She's definitely taking on a bit of a leadership role. I feel bad because almost any time I see Thog, I. <laughs> Pardon me, miss. I know, I know. I just want to hear. Pardon me, miss, but I've never done this. Me too. Me too. Pardon me, miss, but I've never done this with a real live girl. At least he wasn't alone with her this time, so I wasn't as afraid for her. There's that. I mean, it's better that she's around three monsters than one. They're doing this song and dance, and Thog and Sweetums are kind of nailing it, but Timmy Monster's having a hard time. He's out of rhythm. He doesn't quite get the moves down, and she kind of ends up helping him and holding his hand and helping him get through the dance and everything. And it's just a it's just a nice musical number with this little thread of this one monster who's having a hard time. And it's also using just the visual juxtaposition of this woman and this, this you know, this beautiful woman in this white dress with these giant monsters, you know. And it does have that little narrative where she's very sweet to Timmy, you know, but she's got a great voice. It's a very different voice from the Ethel Mermans. <laughs> it's a very different voice, you know, from uh, others, other, you know, definitely from like the Judy Collinses and stuff. It, um, when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that could be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then you glide and you slide, keeping close to my side. <laughs> close to my side. Thank you very much. I did. I, I did. Then it cuts. I looked at it cuts to the balcony. Wonderful, wonderful. That Bernadette Peters is terrific. Well, I reserve judgment. Till when? We're waiting to see what the pig says. Bernadette Peters, you can like. I loved her. Loved her. It's the mouse you gotta hate. Which is interesting because Piggy usually doesn't like the female guests. Yeah, but Kermit doesn't have a number with her. Uh, so we cut back to what I'm thinking now. We've seen this set a few times. I think it's the prop room. 
I think this is supposed to be the prop room. And Robin is packing up his uh, trunk. He's going to he's going to leave. I'm out of here. Uh, he's going to hit the road. And uh, he's so small that he ends up falling into his suitcase and getting stuck. It's just a little bit. Then we get some chickens playing chopsticks. say about this other than uh, chickens playing chopsticks. And now, Veterinarian's Hospital, the continuing story of a quack who's gone to the dogs. We come in on Veterinarian's Hospital, and Piggy is not doing laughing gas, but I feel like she's already hit it. I think that she's just sad. Like, I, she's got the two tongue depressors hanging from her mouth. She's probably trying to emulate Kermit in the Vincent Price episode so he can notice her. I think she looks like a warhog. <laughs> That's not wrong. She's this close to singing Hakuna Matata. We find Piggy, and she's got a couple of tongue depressors in her mouth, making, like, fangs, and then... The camera catches her and she puts them away like she always does. And then they find out that their patient this week is a shoe and we get a lot of shoe jokes. Uh, a nice little arsenic and old lace joke, which was nice. Totally there for the kids, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen that movie. Hey, this is just a shoe. What happened to the rest of him? Maybe he got cold feet. <laughs> <laughs> now let's see what's wrong with him. Aha! It's an eight and a half triple D. Eight and a half triple D. That's about the size of it. <laughs> oh, Dr. Bob, mm. what are you going to start on? The shoestring. A lot of people start on a shoestring. What do you think, Dr. Bob? Simple. It's arsenic poisoning. Arsenic? Sure. Just look at this old lace. Arsenic and old lace? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... This episode does not have a content warning. I was surprised. So was I. The UK spot, Uncle Deadly and uh, a whatnot who's dressed up as the wife of a sheik sing a song called The Sheik of Araby. It's a classic jazz song from 1921. It's been covered a lot. Even the Beatles did it. Well, I'm the sheik of Araby. How would you describe it, though? It's um, obviously Middle Eastern. So there's... Arabian, I guess you would say, right? Yeah, there's Arabian. an Arabic aesthetic to it in a very stereotypical sort of Thousand and One Nights context. The Sheik's wife is very visibly proportioned. She does, in a not unlike Piggy way, decide to shake her assets. Um, She's got some cleave going on. Yeah. Now, do you think... Now, this said this there wasn't a warning on this. Well, now, you know, obviously what we're talking about is it's just got these kind of, you know, stereotype slash just kind of shorthand depictions of other cultures. I guess I was surprised because Uncle Deadly playing the Sheik made it feel a little, like, weirder. Yeah. I am a Sheik to me at night when you're asleep Hi ho, it's Chad here. Um, so yeah. Okay, when I watched this episode, I'll admit I didn't pay particular attention to the lyrics. I was kind of caught off guard by the ethnic stereotypes being presented, but uh, that lyric right there, not okay. I did notice it before. 
Not okay. I'm going to stop the song now. That was, I think that was an intentional choice because yeah. they could have easily used another whatnot. Then again, we, we haven't seen as much of Uncle Deadly, but someone took a glance at that puppet and was like, this is a good idea. I don't know if it was. This would have made sense on Gorch. Now we have another weird number where Sam relates to us the fable of the ant and the grasshopper. Ladies and gentlemen, I, Sam the Eagle, will now read a fable which should serve as a moral lesson to us all. Once upon a time, there was an ant and a grasshopper. Sam is reading from this, from a book telling you the tale of the ant and the grasshopper. And over his shoulder is what basically is a puppet stage. Mm -hmm. And so there's a puppet show playing out over his shoulder while he tells the story of the ant and the grasshopper. It was warm and sunny where they lived. But the ant worked day and night from dawn to dusk storing food for the long, hard winter he knew would come. Uh, toil and labor, work and strife for all that matter in this life. Oh, the ant is a wonderful character. Um, someone got to his book or something. The grasshopper drove his sports car to Florida and the ant got stepped on. What? In the original context, the I think that either the grasshopper starves or the grasshopper has to ask the ant for food because right. all of Aesop's fables had morals. But or was this a pearl? But that's not important. The foot reminded me of Tales of Tinker D. It weirdly reminded me, uh, or I guess it's not that weird that it would remind me of uh, Monty Python a bit. Oh yeah, it's very Monty Python. It's very Monty Python. You're right. Yeah, and Jim was a huge Python fan, so it makes sense. It's a funny little bit though where Statler and Waldorf like really like dig the new crazy kind of crazy ending probably because it ended with death and sam shows up in the booth the grasshopper drove to florida <laughs> the ant got stepped on <laughs> will you stop that why are they picking on us tonight i wrote down accountability i don't know <laughs> so then we go uh and robin just hops into bernadette's dressing room because i guess that's the thing we can do in the muppet show especially if you're a little kid he tells her that like i'm leaving i'm hitting the road on my beaten feet as floyd would say and uh she goes but i wanted to say goodbye and he tells him you know he's not feeling appreciated he's not being seen and she starts singing a song to him if just one person believes in you deep enough and strong enough believes in you hard enough and long enough before you knew it someone else would think if he can do it i can do it just one person the song was written by larry grossman and hal hackety for 1975's snoopy the musical which uh, first played in san francisco actually and has been revived a few times and it is yes based on the charles schultz comic this is the first time we're hearing this song, but it won't be the last. Bernadette Peters will actually sing it again with the Muppets in 1979 on The Tonight Show. But this is also the final song sung by the remaining Muppet performers at Jim Henson's memorial. Making it two whole people who believe in you. Deep enough and strong enough believe in you. Listening to her sing it almost made me cry. But um, it's a wonderful song. It's a very sweet song. The song keeps adding people. Person who believes in making it a threesome. Making it three. 
people you can say As you do that, you add a puppet, you add a puppet, you add a puppet, and by the end, they're all singing together. And I think it's a lovely number. Four whole people, why not more and more and more and let all those people believe in you deep enough and strong enough At the beginning of the episode, the chef delivered a chicken sandwich that had a live chicken in it. Now he's trying to get a chicken to he's trying to get a chicken to lay an egg. I feel like this weird chef struggles with object permanence because it's entirely likely that she didn't eat the sandwich and the chicken just made its way back to him. Oh, I'm sure it's the same chicken. And the chicken is at all she can stand, and she can't stand no more. She doesn't want to lay an egg, and he. But then he picks up a cleaver, <laughs> and is like, "Make an egg." <laughs> he can be very persuasive. So I take back anything I said about him being a pacifist. <laughs> he picks up a cleaver, and he's like, "Do it!" And so she lays an egg, but it ends up becoming a bomb. My daughter said, "Did she fart?" You know, it's not because the first thing you see is the smoke. It's coded. <laughs> yeah, the first yeah the first thing you see is the smoke. And she's like, did she fart? And then the bomb went off. She's like, oh okay. It was she a bomb. An egg. Okay, so this next scene is not not in the Disney Plus version. This is why I told people last week to watch the DVD version. Kermit's at his desk with his uh, his little coffee cup there. Hi, Uncle Kermit. Oh, hi there, Robin. Hey, I feel just great after talking to Bernadette. Good. Yeah, say, listen, can I do a song on a show tonight? Oh, funny you should mention it, Robin. You know, I was just thinking the same thing. Oh. Boy, look, the way I see it, mm -hmm. the curtain opens, and I'm standing there in a spotlight. Mm -hmm. The music swells, and I sing, Away out here, they've got a name. Uh, no, 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 no. From the musical Paint Your Wagon, the Clint Eastwood musical. And uh, Kermit says, nah, why don't, if you're going to sing a song, we'll do that. But why don't you sing a little cute song? And he recommends something cuter. And They call the wind Mariah? Yeah, great, huh? Uh, Robin, that's ridiculous. No, no, no. Listen, I have a cute little song here that's much more fitting to a frog your age. It's called I'm Five. So Robin starts feeling his oats a little bit. And he's like, I'm an important part of the show now. And I, I think I should be able to do this. And Kermit's like, let's see what your dad thinks. Yeah, but who's his dad? I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to get a lawyer. Uh, I'm going to get your father. I'm going to get right out and learn this cute little song. Does Kermit have a brother or a sister? Because um, we I'm going to spoil it for you, folks. We never find out who, to this day, we don't know who Robin's parents are. I mean... I think it's his kid. <laughs> you, think Robin, you think Robin's Kermit's kid? Yeah. I think Robin is Kermit's kid, and... That's why he puts up with them, and he's being raised by maybe Kermit's brother or something. I don't know. 
is Robin Kermit's kid and thinking that he's Kermit's nephew for his safety because Biggie wants to be the only mama. Maybe Kermit wants him to earn his own fame. I don't know. Maybe it's like a great Santini bullshit hard father thing. I don't know. It's just a thought that maybe he's actually Kermit's kid and there's some kind of sordid story there that we don't get to know. But this entire scene is cut from the Disney Plus version because Robin's final number, the song that Robin does eventually sing, is also cut from the Disney Plus version. So much like with Don Knotts, where not only did they cut the song, they cut any references to the song. This one is not nearly as badly mangled as the Don Knotts episode because it's a smaller part of the episode and it's not the final number. But it is something that's missing. And what it does with the cuts is it makes the song with Bernadette Robin's payoff Mm -hmm. as opposed to him actually doing a number being the payoff. Which, honestly, even with the episode cut the way that it is on the DVD, that feels like more of a payoff than his actual songs do. From a temporal standpoint and a structure standpoint, it makes sense that that's the trajectory. Um, Because the alternative, I guess, would be Kermit promising to give him a number, which we may or may not see in a future episode. Yeah, that's kind of what happens, right? He doesn't he never gets the number. And so his story does. Yeah, you're right. It cuts off prematurely. It comes too early in the arc as we discuss the storylines in the Muppet Show way more seriously than they ever did. (laughs) Welcome again to Muppet Labs, where the future is being made today. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew here with news to set you a quiver. Beaker, Beaker, dear lad, come over here. Oh, Beaker, you forgot the Beaker. Now, get the Beaker, Beaker. Come on. (laughs) Now we get a very good Muppet Labs, where we just see what a sadistic son of a bitch Bunsen Honeydew is. Out of the gate. (laughs) The second Beaker comes in and just starts pushing that Beaker the other way. Oh, it was so good. It was You just see them going back and forth playing hot potato like, I'm not drinking this. Yes, you are. You're the intern. He just, he brings Beaker out and he's, he's, he's created or discovered or isolated a new element called Bunsonium. Very modest man, Bunsen Honeydew. And he's created this, he's got this element, but he doesn't know what it does. He knows it doesn't remove paint because <laughs> they tried that. He knows it's not a shampoo because it apparently made Beaker's hair fall off. Because here's the thing, when he says that, he's like, it's not a shampoo, and he has Beaker remove his hair. That means Beaker's already, he's already used this once on him. I want to throw a little bit of respect at Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, because science is significantly better at telling you what something isn't than telling you what something is. So we're just seeing the method in practice. So today, we begin an experiment to see what Bunsonium does when taken internally. My assistant, Beaker here, will now drink the Bunsonium. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. There, there, Beaker. Just take a teensy little sip at first, and remember not to get carried away and gulp the whole thing. Go ahead. It's all right. Go on. It's very sad, almost. It's it's very abusive. I mean, that's their entire dynamic, though. And when I say abusive, in this sense, I mean very funny. (laughs) Beaker does not want to drink it, and finally, he takes a few sips of it, and it deflates him. And Bunsen's like, oh, so that's what Bunsonian does. I like the uh, the little tag at the end, though. Let's go get a bicycle pump and put you back together. Particularly sadistic one. But yeah, you're right. Very There's a very funny comedic beat where they're pushing the beaker of the stuff back and forth. Beaker's like, get that shit away from me. I don't want to drink it. I, I don't do want, want to touch it. it. I don't want it even anywhere near me. I do not like green eggs and ham. 
So Robin gets his musical number. Again, this is cut from Disney Plus. He sings a song called I'm Five. I'm five. I'm five. I'm a big frog now. I'm five. I can dress myself. I don't need mom to help me anymore. And when I sit in my father's chair, my feet can reach the floor. It's a song written back in like the 50s, but it was mostly famous. Uh, the the uh, great actor Danny Kaye used to sing it recorded it on one of his albums just a song about being five and robin sits and sings a song about being five and it's cute ish think i'm three <laughs> not me what does she think i'm four i'm more than four i'm even more than four and a half and then at the end of it he tries to sing a second song and he gets the hook <laughs> He knew what he was doing. My next number, away out here, they've got a name for wind and rain and fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's doing. Everyone's been to a, like a concert where like the local band like gets a good reaction. And they like try to sneak in one or two extra songs before the main attraction. Because mm-hmm. I think he's also thinking like, I can't believe I got out here. I may never get out here again. That's a thought process. And then he gets hooked. And it's awesome. We get a very blunt Muppet News Flash. Dateline, The Muppet Show. It has been reported just moments ago that a large, heavy object was dropped from the ceiling. Further developments will... And then we get our closing number. Bernadette sings Applejack with Lubbock Lou and the, the Jug Huggers. That's the name, the, the Jug Huggers. That's a name. Let that sit for a second. Yep. Okay. On a Dolly Parton song. And they sing a, Dolly, a freaking Dolly Parton song. <laughs> Dolly Parton, savior of the world. Dolly Parton, COVID warrior. Dolly Parton, one of the greatest human beings ever produced by this country and also a hell of a songwriter. Lived by the apple orchard in a little old orchard shack. His name was Jackson Taylor, but folks called him Applejack. And Applejack was loved by everyone he ever knew. Applejack picked apples, but he picked the banjo too. It's a 1977 song, so it would have been a real recent. It was a brand new song. It reminds me a little bit of the Twiggy number. Yeah, that's fair. Dress up your female guest star as a country girl and you have her kind of sitting on a haystack and swinging her legs and singing. Twiggy had pigtails too on that one too, didn't she? <laughs> she did, yeah. Yeah, there's a very specific look they were looking for. This is just a Dolly Parton song and it's good. It's fun. Play a song for me. And then we come out to say goodbye and Bernadette gives a little special thanks to Robin. And then he f- falls. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So I was wondering about that because it seemed like she just sort of grabbed the puppet. She, well, yeah, he falls and then she like reaches down and grabs a puppet. But Jerry's hand is still in it. She's just like covering it at the base, I think. She's doing a little bit of business to kind of cover it up. You know, she's a pro. She's been yeah. on stage a long time. She knows how to do some sleight of hand. I really enjoyed her. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. She doesn't get to do a whole lot in it comedically. Like, she pretty much just sings in it. She's got the one scene with Robin. Mm-hmm. But besides that, like, she just kind of just comes out and sings. But I thought she was lovely. I thought she sounded great. One of my favorites so far this year. I mean, she's not Madeline. You're on. Nobody's Madeline. But, like, as far as, like, the singers go and stuff, I mean, I don't know. I thought I thought she was great. Next time. The greatest talent in the history of the universe. So we got a very special episode coming up next week. We've got Rudolf Nureyev for episode 213. He's actually a very important guest because Rudolf Nureyev is not a comedian. He's not an actor. He's not a singer. 
He's not a model. He's nothing like we've ever had before. He is a world-class ballet dancer. You referenced him uh, an episode or two back, didn't we? Sort of like our next act, Nureyev. Say, Kermit, hmm? Nureyev just called and canceled out. One of his seals is sick. <coughs> Rudolf Nureyev has trained seals? No, Adolf Nureyev does. There are some things that I think are going to feel problematic, and there are some things that are going to be amazing. It's one of my girl's favorite episodes. But there, there's a couple of moments that I think are going to be it's going to be interesting to talk about. And then we get episode 214, which is just as exciting with rock god Elton John. You know who that is. That's a huge star. So I, like I'm I mean, familiar with the Elton John. Yes. So two good episodes tonight and probably two good episodes next week, if I remember correctly. I'm looking forward to it. So everybody have a good night. We will talk to you later. My name is Chad. My name is Nick. And uh, Take care. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. Seriously, what'd you think of Miss Mousy? I loved her. Me too. What? No, we didn't. Thank you.